0: Chapters 38 and 39 of A Short History of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Alison Hester of Athens, Georgia. A Short History of the United States by Edward Channing. Chapter 38. Bull Run to Murfreesboro, 1861-1862. to 1862. 386. Nature of the Conflict The overthrow of the Confederate states proved to be very difficult. The Allegheny Mountains cut the south into two great fields of war. Deep and rapid rivers flowed from the mountains into the Atlantic or into the Mississippi. Each of these rivers was a natural line of defense. The first line was the Potomac in the Ohio, but when the Confederates were driven from this line, they soon found another equally good a little farther south. Then again, the south was only partly settled. Good roads were rare, but there were many poor roads. The maps gave only the good roads. By these, the northern soldiers had to march, while the southern armies were often guided through paths unknown to the northerners and thus were able to march shorter distances between two battlefields or between two important points. 387. The Bull Run Campaign, July 1861 northern soldiers crossed the potomac into virginia and found the confederates posted at bull run near manassas junction other northern soldiers pressed into the shenandoah valley from harper's ferry they too found a confederate army in front of them the plan of the union campaign is now clear general mcdowell was to attack the confederates at bull run while general patterson attacked the confederates in the valley and kept them so busy that they could not go to the help of their comrades at bull run it fell out otherwise for patterson retreated and left the confederate general johnston free to go to the aid of the sorely pressed confederates at bull run McDowell attacked vigorously and broke the Confederate line, but he could not maintain his position. The Union troops at first retreated slowly. Then they became frightened and fled, in all haste back to Washington. The first campaign ended in disaster. 388. The Army of the Potomac While the Bull Run campaign was going on in eastern Virginia, Union soldiers had been winning victories in western Virginia, these were led by General George B. McClellan. He now came to Washington and took command of the troops operating in front of the capital. During the autumn, winter, and spring, he drilled his men with great skill and care. In March 1862, the Army of the Potomac left its camps a splendidly drilled body of soldiers. 389. The Army of Northern Virginia Meantime, the government of the Confederacy had gathered great masses of soldiers there were not nearly as many white men of fighting age in the south as there were in the north but what men there were could be placed in the fighting line because the negro slaves could produce the food needed by the armies and do the hard labor of making forts the capital of the confederacy was now established at richmond on the james river in virginia the army defending this capital was called the Army of Northern Virginia. It was commanded by Joseph E. Johnston, but its ablest officers were Robert E. Lee and Thomas J. Jackson, Stonewall Jackson. 390. Plan of the Peninsular Campaign The country between the Potomac and the James was cut up by rivers, as the Rappahannock, the Matapony, and the Pamunkey, and part of it was a wilderness mcclellan planned to carry his troops by water to the peninsula between the james and the york of pamunkey rivers he would then have a clear road to richmond with no great rivers to dispute the enemy johnston would be obliged to leave his camp at bull run and march southward to the defense of richmond the great objection to the plan was that johnston might attack washington instead of going to face mcclellan General Jackson also was in the Shenandoah Valley. He might march down the valley, cross the Potomac, and seize Washington. So the government kept 75,000 of McClellan's men for the defense of the federal capital. 391. The Monitor and the Merrimack. On March eighth, a queer-looking craft steamed out from Norfolk, Virginia, and attacked the Union fleet at anchor near Fortress Monroe. She destroyed two wooden frigates, the Cumberland and the Congress, and began the destruction of the Minnesota. She then steamed back to Norfolk. This formidable vessel was the old frigate Merrimack. Upon her decks, the Confederate had built an iron house. From these iron sides, the balls of the Union frigates rolled harmlessly away. But that night, an even stranger-looking ship appeared at Fortress Monroe. This was the Monitor, A floating fort built of iron. She was designed by John Erickson, a Swedish immigrant. When the Merrimack came back to finish the destruction of the Minnesota, the Monitor steamed directly at her. These ironclads fought and fought. At last, the Merrimack steamed away and never renewed the fight. 392. The Peninsular Campaign, 1862 by the end of may mcclellan had gained a position within ten miles of richmond meanwhile jackson fought so vigorously in the shenandoah valley that the washington government refused to send more men to mcclellan although johnston had gone with his army to the defense of richmond on may thirty first the army of the potomac and the army of northern virginia fought a hard battle at fair oaks johnston was wounded and lee took the chief command he summoned jackson from the valley and attacked mcclellan day after day june twenty sixth to july second eighteen sixty two these terrible battles of the seven days forced mcclellan to change his base to the james where he would be near the fleet at malvern hill lee and jackson once more attacked him and were beaten off with fearful loss three ninety three second bull run campaign the army of the potomac was still uncomfortably near richmond it occurred to lee that if he should strike a hard blow at the army in front of washington lincoln would recall mcclellan suddenly without any warning jackson appeared at manassas junction mcclellan was at once ordered to transport his army by water to the potomac and place it under the orders of general john pope commanding the forces in front of washington mcclellan did as he was ordered but lee moved faster than he could move before the army of the potomac was thoroughly in pope's grasp lee attacked the union forces near bull run he defeated them drove them off the field and back into the forts defending washington the antietam campaign 1862 lee now crossed the potomac into maryland but he found more resistance than he had looked for mcclellan was again given chief command gathering his forces firmly together he kept between lee and washington and threatened lee's communications with virginia the confederates drew back mcclellan found them strongly posted near the antietam and attacked them the union soldiers fought splendidly but military writers say that mcclellan's attacks were not well planned At all events, the Army of the Potomac lost more than 12,000 men to less than 10,000 on the Confederate side, and Lee made good his retreat to Virginia. McClellan was now removed from command, and Ambrose E. Burnside became chief of the Army of the Potomac. 395. Fredericksburg, December 1862. Burnside found Lee strongly posted on Maury's Heights which rise sharply behind the little town of Fredericksburg on the southern bank of the Rappahannock River. Burnside attacked in front. His soldiers had to cross the river and assault the hill in face of a murderous fire, and in vain, he lost 13,000 men to only 4,000 of the Confederates. Fighting Joe Hooker now succeeded Burnside as the commander of the Army of the Potomac, we must now turn to the west and see what had been doing there in eighteen sixty one to sixty two three ninety six grant and thomas in illinois there appeared to be a trained soldier of fierce energy and invincible will ulysses simpson grant he had been educated at west point and had served in the mexican war in september eighteen sixty one he seized cairo at the junction of the ohio and the mississippi in january 1862 general george h thomas defeated a confederate force at mill springs in the upper valley of the cumberland river in this way grant and thomas secured the line of the ohio in eastern kentucky for the union 397 forts henry and donelson february 1862 in february 1862 general grant and commodore Foote attacked two forts which the confederates had built to keep the federal gunboats from penetrating the western part of the confederacy fort henry yielded almost at once but the union forces besieged fort donelson for a long time soon the confederate defense became hopeless and general buckner asked for the terms of surrender unconditional surrender replied grant and buckner surrendered The Lower Tennessee and the Lower Cumberland were now open to the Union forces. 398. Importance of New Orleans New Orleans and the Lower Mississippi were of great importance to both sides, for the possession of this region gave the Southerners access to Texas and through Texas to Mexico. Union fleets were blockading every important Southern port, but as long as commerce overland with Mexico could be maintained, the South could struggle on. The Mississippi, too, has so many mouths that it was difficult to keep vessels from running in and out. For these reasons, the federal government determined to seize New Orleans and the lower Mississippi. The command of the expedition was given to Farragut, who had passed his boyhood in Louisiana. He was given as good a fleet as could be provided, and a force of soldiers was sent to help him. 399, New Orleans Captured, April 1862 Farragut carried his fleet into the Mississippi, but found his way upstream barred by two forts on the river's bank. A great chain stretched across the river below the forts, and a fleet of river gunboats with an ironclad or two was in waiting above the forts. Chain, forts, and gunboats all gave way before Farragut's forceful will. At night, he passed the forts amid a terrific cannonade. Once above them, New Orleans was at his mercy. It surrendered, and with the forts was soon occupied by the Union army. The lower Mississippi was lost to the Confederacy. four hundred. Shiloh and Corinth. April and May, eighteen sixty two. General Halleck now directed the operations of the Union armies in the west. He ordered Grant to take his men up the Tennessee to Pittsburg landing, and there await the arrival of Buell with a strong force overland from Nashville. Grant encamped with his troops on the western bank of the Tennessee between Shiloh Church and Pittsburgh Landing. Albert Sidney Johnston, the Confederate commander in the West, attacked him suddenly and with great fury. Soon, the Union Army was pushed back to the river. In his place, many a leader would have withdrawn, but Grant, with amazing courage, held on. In the afternoon, Buell's leading regiments reached the other side of the river. In the night, they were ferried across, and Grant's outlying commands were brought to the front. The next morning, Grant attacked in his turn and slowly but surely pushed the Confederates off the field. Halleck then united Grant's, Buell's, and Pope's armies and captured Corinth. 401. Bragg in Tennessee and Kentucky General Braxton Bragg now took a large part of the Confederate army, which had fought at Shiloh and Corinth, to Chattanooga. He then marched rapidly across Tennessee and Kentucky to the neighborhood of Louisville on the Ohio River. Buell was sent after him, and the two armies fought an indecisive battle at Perryville. Then Bragg retreated to Chattanooga. In a few months, he was again on the march. Roscrans had now succeeded Buell. He attacked Bragg at Murfreesboro. For a long time, the contest was equal. In the end, however, the Confederates were beaten and retired from the field. End of chapter 38.